This episode of Stuck in the 80s is sponsored by... Pure Energy. No, I'm pretty sure it's the 80s Cruise. Pure Energy. No, 80s Cruise. I want to know what you're thinking. There are some things you can't hide. Ah, okay, I get it. Okay, okay, we're on the right track. Yes, yes, that's the big news. The 80s Cruise has just added Information Society to the lineup for their 2017 journey. They joined 10 other bands, including Cheap Trick, Belinda Carlisle, Howard Jones, and more. The other big news, the 80s Cruise has just announced that everyone who books a cabin on next year's cruise gets free drinks. Drink, drink, drink. Well, 14 free drinks to be uh, specific, or two per day. I hope the bartenders are in training for us because the 2016 cruise goers really partied hard that week. A real woman could stop you from drinking. It has to be a real big woman. If you want to join us, there's still time. The cruise is February 11th to 18th out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida on the ship Celebrity Summit. Just go to www.the80scruise.com for details. And remember, please use the promo code STUCK when booking to save hundreds off advertised rates. And if you have any questions about the 80s cruise or just cruising in general, email me at steve at sit80s.com. Now let's start the show. Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the music. You can't have the Pretender's first album. That's mine. I bought it. You did not. The catchphrases. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? And the wannabes. Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears, and today we toast a few more of our favorite cover songs of the 80s. I've had this taste in my mouth before. It does have a little wang in it. With me as always today, it's Brad in LA. Hey, Steve. I brought some other people along too today. Oh, um, do tell. I know. I'm so excited. With us this week to celebrate the ongoing Festival of Humidity, it's Gail in DC. Hey, guys. How are you? We're excellent. Fantastic. And also, to celebrate the festival of the entire state being on fire, uh, Just Drew in California. Hello! Is it, is it really that hot out there in California? It was 110 at my house yesterday. And there's what? a 20,000-acre fire burning about 10 miles from my house. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Like, my car was covered in ash this morning. What? Kind yeah, of- you know, I'm not saying it's hot in California, but two hobbits just threw a ring in my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> so as uh, Brad alluded, this is, I think, number five in our series of cover songs of the 80s. Is that about right? Yeah, it's five. a fun topic. Yeah, it, what's really cool about it is every time we think we've kind of hit all the highlights of cover songs in the 80s, we, we suddenly discover a whole new batch of songs that we had no idea were cover songs. And this week in particular, we each have one song. That we're going to present. And I think it goes without saying that I did not know a single one of these songs was a cover song before yesterday. Me neither. And I'm always surprised at how lazy our favorite 80s artists were that they just took some of these songs. <laughs> because, yeah, I was shocked with some songs of these. for an album. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, I show such, such uh, rage every time Hollywood remakes a movie from the 80s. Yeah. And yet, and yet we sort of let the musicians, you know, get a free pass on it. And, Maybe it's because maybe maybe there's something fundamentally different about remaking a movie versus covering a song. Am I am I wrong? Well, I think no. I think you're right. I think, I think all artists cover songs because when people are learning how to play instruments, they don't start off with their own stuff usually, right? So they they all have inspirations that they draw from directly, right? Whether it be sure, sound absolutely, or chord structures or whatever. So I think it's it's more. It's seen in more positive light when a musician does it because it's more of an acknowledgement. Hey, I really like this thing you did. 
Yeah, it's kind of like they influenced me in my direction of my songwriting and everything like that. And you could say the same thing about films. I mean, there are filmmakers who maybe they don't make sequels, but they definitely have nods to directors or writers that they like, cinematographers, and they use that kind of stuff in their films. So it's it's very similar, I think, to musicians. It's just when they do a direct sequel like a like a film, that's a little more obvious. Yeah, I mean, a pop song is three and a half minutes long. A movie is two hours, so you're going right. to get you know a copy of that's going to get tiresome. Okay, well, let's get started. Here is our first cover song of the '80s. I'll present it myself. I give you Blondie with the tide is high. Raise of the hands. Who knew that uh, the tide is high was a cover song? Looking, looking. Don't see any hands. I don't think I knew it was a cover song. I think I knew it was different than the other stuff on that album. But that album was so eclectic and had so many different types of songs. I didn't realize that I that it was a cover song. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think I knew it was a cover, and it definitely does not have an '80s feel to it. But if you had asked me who had originally recorded it, I, I never could have come up with it. So the answer to who originally recorded it, uh, the Titus High is a 1966 song written by John Holt, performed by the Jamaican group The Paragons, uh, of which John Holt was the lead singer. song never charted. It was remade again in 1978 by Gregory Isaacs, a reggae musician also in Jamaica. Isaacs passed away from uh, lung cancer in 2010. And so then we're left with The Tide is High coming out in 1980, barely making the parameters of said given podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No grandfather clause required. It was actually a number one hit, both in the US and the UK for uh, Blondie. Well, hearing it on the album, it definitely had a Jamaican feel to it, you know, the island feel to it. So that's what made it such a fun song for Blondie and so different. Yeah, it doesn't really fit in with what I think of as Blondie, but I think I, I would never have thought it was a cover just because I'm like, well, they're, you know, they're doing new stuff. Who knows well, what they're recording? Yeah, I don't, I don't even think reggae was on my radar in 1980. So no, when, you, when I listen to it the first time, I'm just like, okay, it's different but i don't know why or how right yeah. it's like oh wow this is this is on the radio a lot <laughs> it was on the radio a lot um it was uh, blondie's third number one uh, hit and uh, their fifth in the uk it was also her last number one hit in the 80s was it I think. really oh yeah really right one and done there huh for the yeah, decade yeah so Debbie Harry wasn't the only one that did kind of reggae-ish songs at the time, too. I mean, I remember the police had some songs that had kind of a, a reggae sound to it. I believe earlier, back in the 70s, the uh, – not the, but just Led Zeppelin did a couple of songs that had reggae feel to it because a lot of them were recording down there. UB40, English Beat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was going to pick UB40, <laughs> but I couldn't think of any original UB40 songs. They're all covers. <laughs> It'd be that's interesting true. to try and find a band that didn't do a cover that's never done a cover. That's never uh, done that a cover. That would be tricky. Yeah. Because I think, like I said, I think everyone loves doing, like, take, mm-hmm. like let me give you my take on this song that I love. You know? Yeah. I can't, exactly. I can't, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think of a U2 song that was a cover. Really? All Along the Watchtower. Yeah, but was it recorded for an album? It's on Rattle and Hum. Uh, but that's like a live album. Oh, okay. Let's draw more of a box around the question. So well, I'm you saying you right. recorded it. You recorded it at least as a as a you know a studio version. That's what I mean. I don't think the police had any covers. 
I don't yeah. know. Um, I mean, yeah. Sting, Sting has covered police songs and he yeah. sampled them, but I don't think if the five police albums, I don't think any of those were covers. I think you're right. I think Sting has some Sting has some covers from the 14th century. <laughs> <laughs> well, well technically, the police did a cover of their own song. Don't stand so close to me. Uh, that doesn't right. sound like a cover. That's, that's just <laughs> a right. remix. Keep, I know. I just was I trying call to. shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Brad. Uh, what is your pick for one of your uh, most unexpected cover songs for the 80s? Okay, this is another one of those songs that... As with all these on the show, I was like, this is a cover, really? I give you Billy Idol's 1986 smash to be a lover. There's no way this is a cover song. Uh, yeah. This is a cover song? This is a cover song. So this was originally recorded by William Bell, who I know we were all familiar with William Bell's work, right? Uh, he was an R&B soul singer on Stax in the 60s and wrote this and recorded it in 1968 as a soul ballad called I Forgot to Be Your Lover. So when I first heard this, I thought I'd clicked on the wrong link. <laughs> uh, like, no, this isn't the same song. And I had to get to the chorus before I started to recognize it a little bit better. It is so different. It is just, I, I can't even imagine how uh, Billy Idol came to this track. Um, it was not a huge hit. It did chart. It made it to 45 on the top 100, and it was number 10 on the Heart R&B singles. But that was in 1969, and I don't know if Billy Idol was alive in 1969. Yes, he oh, was. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he's he's like uh, 10 years older than us. He's about 60 now. So there's also a reggae hook here. In 1977, this was covered by George Faith, who was a Jamaican reggae singer. And this version is also kind of amazing. Let me play a little clip of this for you. I've been working for you, doing all I can. Work all night, Yeah, there we go, reggae. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I guess that's our thread for the first two songs here. We'll see <laughs> I don't if know it if continues. it continues. Yeah. The song was written by William Bell and Booker T. Jones of Booker T. and the MGs. Uh, they also collaborated on another famous blues song, uh, Born Under a Bad Sign. I don't know that one. Don't. I think that's my ringtone. Really? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, Albert King. It's a big hit for him, but it was also covered by Cream and by Jimi Hendrix. And, and, let's, be, and let's face it, Billy Idol... Is is one of the bigger felons when it comes to cover songs. Oh yeah, yeah. When you say cover songs in the eighties, like yeah, money, money. Yeah, uh, check the box. Yeah, there's that. And I just looked it up. By the way, Billy was born in nineteen fifty five. Oh my gosh, the man's practically yeah. dead. <laughs> he looks great. Have you seen him lately? I have seen him lately. I was at he was at the book expo last year because he has a had a memoir out in I guess two thousand fifteen. Oh, yeah. So I was about three feet from him. He looks good, but his face is very craggy. Like he's he's definitely showing the age there. He's he's fit and you know thin and tan, but he just yeah. he, if you're up close, he does look pretty old. Uh, yeah, yeah. I met him once. Mm-hmm. He couldn't have been a nicer guy. How did you meet him? Uh, this is back. <laughs> this was back in the uh, mid '90s when I was working at Dodger Stadium. Um, he was. I was working in one of the camera wells, and he was sitting behind me with his son. He tapped me on the shoulder because he realized I was I was shooting for Diamond Vision, and he just said, uh, "Hey, you know, would it be cool if uh, we? It's my son's birthday if we got up on the, the Diamond Vision board." And it was kind of a he used his son's birthday. What? Well, a, no, he wanted to get oh, his son, he wanted hog. to get his son on Diamond Vision. 
did you see some some idea? Well, on no. That? So what I what I did was we we had kind of a rule that you don't show celebrities on Diamond Vision because then what happens is people want to get their autographs and they want to you know they start har- harassing them and they just want to be there to enjoy the game. Right. Of course. So I said, you know, I kind of warned him. I said, you know, I, I'm I'm just going to let you know this could happen. And he goes, Oh no, that's fine. That's fine. So um, I checked with the guys upstairs and they said, Yeah, if he doesn't mind that we ID him. And I said, No, that's fine. In between one of the innings, I just turned my camera around and, and we put him and his son up on the board and crowd went nuts. It was kind of cool. But yeah, he was a really nice guy. And then he signed a baseball for me. Oh, nice. Oh, cool. Do you still have it? I don't think so. <laughs> and there ends wow, the story. Wow, the story, the story ends so great. <laughs> well, okay, then. Yes, I still have it. It's in a little glass case uh, right here on my desk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I ask questions of it. It gives me advice for all of my mm-hmm. life decisions. And the answer is VD. What? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw Billy Idol do this song. Ah, it's got to be six or eight years ago. It was a big festival show, and he was like the third band on the bill. And he comes out, and he's wearing a suit and a tie and opens with this song, To Be a Lover. And he's like lounge singering it, like, got to be a lover. And I just, I was so mad. I'm like, you are phoning it in. <laughs> you are up there phoning it in for the paycheck. You b- I'm just, I'm so mad. And then he gets about to the, maybe the first chorus and he rips a sleeve off the suit and then he rips the other sleeve off and then he's like, yeah. And then he breaks into like full on Billy Idol and the whole place just went bananas. It was amazing. And from that minute, he just, he had the whole crowd in the palm of his hand. It was just amazing set. So much fun. But I was so mad at him when he came out like that. <laughs> he definitely makes it his own here. Oh, yeah. It ve- feels very Billy Idol to me. Um, I'm not a big fan of Moni Moni at all. I'd say it's like maybe in my top five least favorite 80s songs. But this one I really like. And I think it's it, it, it's so surprising that it's a cover because, like you said, Steve, where did he – how did he get in touch with this song? Like it's it really feels like something that he would have recorded originally. Well, he would have been what? 13 years old when this came out so <laughs> well he might have heard the reggae version too i don't yeah. know interesting so billy idol will have two more top 10 singles in the u.s from then till now can you name either of them uh cradle of love that is correct is dancing with myself after this that's before mm. that i think this before LA this. woman no it's gonna be a surprise oh now you've really yeah i've got nothing Hang on. Moni Moni Live went to number one in 1987. It's Moni Moni? Oh. Live. Yeah. It went to number one. But here's some redeeming some redeeming value for it. It pushed I Think We're Alone Now out of the top spot. <laughs> when I got married and I had to give a list of songs to the band not to play, Moni Moni was number one. <laughs> <laughs> I was afraid you were going to say, I think think we're alone now was their first dance. Oh, God, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's like, please leave the reception now. What were everybody's? Did did, did anyone have an 80s song as their first dance song for their weddings? No. What did – I didn't. But what did you have, Steve? I'd be shocked if you didn't. Uh, For my first wedding, I've been married twice and divorced twice. Um, The second wedding, we didn't have like a song. It was just – it was a small ceremony. We just had a piano player. Uh, the first one was, it was a, uh, here, I think it was here and now by Luther Vandross. Ooh, sexy. Schmoopy time. <laughs> so what'd you, what'd you guys have? Katie and I danced a waltz. I don't remember what the music was. Oh, my wife is going to kill me. I, I can't know, remember. I, it might, I, have, I, it might have been something from the sound of music. It might have been something from the sound of music. It's her favorite movie. You know, I would give you crap about that, but it is their day. You really don't have any input on it, so I'm going to let it slide. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, I just remembered mine. I finally remembered it? mine. It's um, it's a song. It's called "More" by Bobby Darren. So it was kind of more like Rat Packy song, but it's a great song. It's more than the more than the greatest love you'll ever know. I'm not going to sing, um, but it's very yeah. Oh come on, <laughs> don't sing on the show. <laughs> no, you don't want me singing. But it's a great song, and that was our first dance. Nice. The only the only thing that's still traumatic to me about my first wedding the, the first wedding ceremony was, and I guess I just didn't think about it. No one told me you have to dance with the mother of the bride. Oh, like well, you don't have to, but people are going to talk if you don't. Well, yeah. they put it, it sort of put me on the spot, and I 
at that time, I, I don't, I don't dance. I, I don't know how to properly like where you put your hands. And so, <laughs> like a medical condition, or what are you twelve? Like, yeah, yes. <laughs> All you have to do is waddle in a slow circle. No, I did waddle in a slow circle, but I didn't know where to put my hands. Like you're supposed to put like one like on her back, and then you like you hold her hand. <laughs> I guess I didn't know what you to know do. What the, you know, I still oh have God. nightmares you about hold, this. You, you, I'm really upset. Cup the shoulder blade. <laughs> cup the shoulder blade. Well, I didn't know. You know, you're telling me now this is use- this would have been information would have been more useful to me yesterday, but I swear <laughs> I still get I still get the cold sweats when I think about that. That was the most terrifying moment, you know, of that decade. Well, of the second half of my life was all these people watching me as I'm like <laughs> waddling around the dance floor, with my both my hands on her hips because I didn't know where else to put them. Oh. And that horrible, that horrifying look in her eyes, like, oh, my God, this is the most inappropriate moment of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ask for her phone number? I will say that is when you went in for the kiss. That's what made it awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, too. Did the nun come by with the ruler? (laughs) 12 inches. (laughs) The next day I was dry heaving so bad I could barely get on the plane to go to our honeymoon because the thing that had messed me up that much. Uh. Or it could have been the egg rolls. I don't know. Well, my mother-in-law anyway. hated my guts, so it would made it for a very awkward dance for that reason. <laughs> That's no joke. Oh, she, she did not like me whatsoever. Is she not? Is she not with us you anymore. Say, you say <clears throat> did? Does she? Has she no, grown she, fond of uh, you? In, it uh, it took a little since? while, but now I'm her favorite, yeah. and I kind of joke that it's not like because she had uh, Amy has a sister, and then they have a stepbrother and stepsister. So there was actually like four in-laws, and I was at the very bottom. But over the years. Uh, all the other in-laws have dropped off through divorces and just bad moves by them. So I'm now like the favorite guy. And uh, uh. <laughs> I always joke, it's not that that I've gone up. It's just everybody else went down. So. Yeah. Hey, you know what? That's, sometimes <clears throat> I'll that's take all it. it takes. Suck less. Yeah, I'll take yeah. it. <laughs> okay. We've now built an impenetrable layer of nostalgia that Gail will be <laughs> unable to penetrate with, with, her, with her pick. Uh, Gail, what is your pick for uh, uh, unknown cover song of the 80s? So my pick is Huey Lewis's Heart and Soul. No idea this was a cover. It sounds so much like a, Huey. It oh, yeah. like a Huey song. How dare he? Yeah. It, does. it does. Yeah, it does. So this is the first single off of Sports. Uh, it was in between two other Huey Lewis and the News hits, Working for a Living in 82, and I Want a New Drug in 84. And I agree. I was really surprised this was a cover because it does sound like a Huey song. And actually, the original sounds like a Huey song, too. So it's not even that much of a stretch. I mean, we, I, I know we've got some songs today that are, you know, virtually unrecognizable from their originals, but this one actually sounds just like it. It came from a band called Exile and it came out in I got to jump in here. When when I heard the Exile song, I actually thought they were doing a bad cover of the Huey Lewis in the News version. Right. I mean, See, it's that's, crazy. That's when you know you did a good job then. Yeah. The Huey Lewis one is so much better. It's so much better, but it's not even all that different. No, but Brad, there's we a saw, feel to it. Brad, we saw uh, Huey Lewis on the 80s cruise last year. What Did they did they even play this song? Um, I would – gosh, I don't I, remember. I, I think they did. I mean, I can't imagine they wouldn't. It was a huge hit. Yeah. It's a sing-along hit. Everyone wants to sing along. Yeah. She's got it all. <laughs> Except you. You sat there with your arms crossed. I did. Not having any fun. I, that was pretty much how I looked. Where's my glass of gin? <laughs> was that the glass of gin? I, I think it was. Uh, it might have been. Oh, my God. Now, Huey Lewis, it does not surprise me that he would go back and borrow a tune. His sound is so retro yeah. that it makes perfect sense for him to go back you know, and honor some of the music that influenced uh, his sound. And it was nice of Ray Parker Jr. to do a cover song of uh, <laughs> I Want a New Drug. 
I want a new Ghostbusters drug. It's funny because even when he's in videos, he looks like he's from another era. Like he doesn't dress like the 80s. He wears these sort of suits with skinny ties that kind of have this 50s look to him. So that even yeah. when he was there, he was reaching back, it feels like, in his image and in his music. Yeah, I would say the same thing about Billy Joel, too. I felt a lot of Billy Joel's hits in the 80s sounded like doo-wop songs from the 50s and 60s. Well, yeah, he had that whole album that was, you know... Ugh, can't stand that album. But, uh, yeah, you're talking about um, Innocent Man? Yeah, Innocent yeah. Man. Yeah. I like that album. We have never, we've, wrong. never done, <laughs> we've never done a, uh, a Billy Joel show, and I think people are generally okay with that. Why is that? Yeah, I, I don't know. He don't really know. gets mocked. A divisive guy. Ooh, yeah. I have to disagree. I would listen to a Billy Joel show. I love Billy Joel. I, I do too. And but see, the, look, we have division. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was right. Yeah. I, I'm really surprised. But I remember in the early days of Stuck in the 80s when I used to blog and stuff like that, and I would I I would mention Billy Joel or this or that. People were really strong in their dislike for him, at least among the people who were visiting the blog. Yeah. And so I've never been tempted I mean, to, to write about him or I, I've stopped writing about him. I stopped following him. And just because I, I know that there's nobody was showing any interest. Huh? It's weird. I mean, I like his music, piano man, all that stuff is some great music, but at the same time, it's like, eh, I don't know. You, you take them or leave them. Well, the eighties were kind of well, known for a specific, you know, the whole new wave movement kind of left Billy Joel, you know, Staring in the window, you know, he he wasn't part of that, and it's and so much of yeah. the sound that, that and so neither was Huey Lewis. No, he wasn't, yeah. and so to, and to me, it's it's surprising that he was able to be as popular as he was in an era when that kind of music was generally not favored. Yeah, he somehow managed to 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 make it work, though. I, I would say I think the eighties was the worst for Billy Joel. I can't stand, you know, tell her about it and. For the longest time, and uh, Uptown Girl, those were to me like oh, the, girl. <laughs> the nadir uh. of the Billy Joel uh, discography. I, I can't stand that stuff. But um, yeah, I think he, I think he kind of transcends the eighties. <laughs> He's just not; it's not his thing. Right. We should we yeah. should do a show on him. I'd love to do a show where we do maybe like his uh, three best songs of the eighties and three worst songs of the eighties. You know, kind of thing. You know, give people something to uh, to love and hate. Uh, that's our philosophy here. <laughs> so so uh, the thing that's surprising to me is that this this is a cover. It's not particularly – it wasn't recorded too long before that. It's a relatively recent song, right? And he, they chose it as the lead single yeah. on this album that would become their biggest album. Yeah, I thought the same thing. It seems strange that you would pick a cover to be the the lead song, the first single you release off an album. Well, I mean, I guess that's the A&R man's decision, but – I mean, did the, did the original – did the – 1978 version chart at all was it did it even make a ripple no no i i mean i think it was a pretty unknown song from a pretty unknown band was it an album cut and actually yeah. that band reinvented itself as a country band later on so they clearly moved on from this sound that's why i saw them did they do a country version of kiss you all over <laughs> no but <laughs> they're only i band. saw them my sister won tickets to a concert and we saw exile the judge and the oak ridge boys Oh my lord! I'm sorry. But the judge complete. And you went. Who's the judge? But yeah, I was wondering why the name Exile sounded so familiar to me. Now I got it. <laughs> That's fine. all right. Okay, Drew, you're uh, hitting the cleanup position. All right, uh, give us your pick for unknown cover song of the '80s. Well, we were talking just a, a minute ago about you know how new wave kind of destroyed everything else with the earlier stuff, and and it's funny because the song I'm picking is actually almost the epitome of new wave in its style. The song I'm talking about today is 1981's massive worldwide number one hit from Kim Carnes called Betty Davis Eyes. I think this was uh, also featured on our show of like 10 songs from the 80s that we can't stand. Most overplayed songs. Most overplayed songs. And I think and, – and that's the reason why. It was just so – It's ubiquitous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just so uh, in your face every five minutes. Yep, it was. And, and it's funny. When it first came out, I actually thought it was Rod Stewart singing it. 
I mean, I, I remember when I first heard it, I thought, wow, Rod Stewart's really got kind of a different sound on this one. So, <laughs> but now the woman I'm going to introduce you to, the woman who actually wrote this is named Jackie DeShannon. And you probably don't know her, but you know her work. But she was born in 1941. Uh, she wrote songs for people like uh, Jimmy Page, The Birds, Marianne Faithful. Oh, wow. Uh, she dated Elvis Presley. And she actually uh -huh. supported the Beatles in 1964 on their first U.S. tour. So she was Jesus. out there, actually. Yeah, she's been around. She's making it happen. Yeah. She also did a song called Put a Little Love in Your Heart, which was later covered by Annie Lennox and Al Green. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But oh, yeah. It sure. was, it was in, uh, that's in, Scrooged. Uh, yeah. Steve's favorite Christmas movie. Yep. yep. <laughs> it is. It is. I, I no shame. It was uh, Betty Davis' eyes that got her a Grammy for Song in the, of the Year. And here's what her song originally sounded like. Just a minute ago, I talked about the Oak Ridge Boys, and that's what this original version kind of sounds like to me. It's a very country-sounding song. Yeah, it is. I, again, I was like, this is the same song. Did you send me the wrong link? I know. It was and if vastly so, different. what are you listening to? And that's where I wonder, it's like, how do those things, how do some of these stars, like, I didn't think Kim Carnes would have been a fan of, of country, but somehow, some way, this song got to her, and they, they totally changed the feel of it. To a song that Steve would eventually go on to hate. Well, I think I think I look at it now and I'm realizing it was a 1981 hit song, and MTV, of course, was born in 1981, wasn't it? Was it not? Yeah. And uh, I know this song had a video. Yes. And I think that's one of the reasons why some of these songs became overplayed was because in the early days of MTV, they weren't they didn't have the catalog of videos that they would eventually have, and so you'd see. Betty Davis eyes on TV four times a day or something like that and just want to kill yourself. Probably more than that. I mean, if you watched MTV as much as I watched MTV. Yeah. It's like, I think I have no life now, but uh, <laughs> I mean, back back then, I mean, holy hell. I mean, I, the, the amount of time I spent, I could have gotten into Harvard if I just used that time <laughs> to study instead. <laughs> well, you know, I wonder if the thing that I always say about the charts in the early 80s is there was still a lot of country, soft country sure. in, the, in the pop charts at the time. So, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, who knows what Kim Carnes was listening to? She crazy. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're just weeks away from our famous two-part series on the, the, the hits of Eddie Rabbit. So... <laughs> <laughs> Count um, me out for those. God, all right, I so love me a rainy night. That's going to be a short podcast. Well, the, yeah, you accompany it with, Ke with Kenny Rogers, right? Oh, sure. Don't fall in love with a dreamer, my friend. Well, you got um, Kenny Rogers, Eddie Rabbit. You got um, the Oak Ridge Boys. Tolly Parton was still Alabama. Oh, yeah. Alabama. Was Alabama. We used to talk about doing it. I know this is getting too almost insiderish, but we talked a lot. We've talked a lot about trying to do a a country music in the '80s podcast, and we're just like, ugh, have we? No, well, I mean, I, back in the day, maybe we did, because I, th I think uh, Sean was trying to woo some girl who worked at a country music radio station, <laughs> <laughs> and so he was dangling the uh, motivated hey, self interest. Yeah. It hey, force, well, I, you want to come on the world. podcast? Talk about country music? Maybe get a bite afterwards. <laughs> that's about how close we ever came to it. So that's funny. Just so you guys know, the Carnes version spent nine non-consecutive weeks at the top of the U.S. Billboard uh, Hot 100. It was interrupted by Stars on 45 Medley for one week. Oh, yeah. oh yes, oh. early '80s rock, uh, <laughs> classical music with a clap track, just what the world never needed. <laughs> and then, lastly, Betty Davis actually wrote a letter to Carnes and to Shannon to thank them for um, making her part of the modern times, and said that her grandson now looks up to her. Wow, nice. And sent them roses after the uh, the Grammy win because they won a Grammy. So Davis sent them roses. But I have a trivia question for you guys. Okay. Question is about the lyric where the lyric says, she knows just what it takes to make a what 
blush? Is it crow or pro? I always thought it was pro. I always thought it was pro. All right. Gail? The crow's blush? I think pro also, no? Actually, Kim Carnes, is, it is pro. It's actually a kind of a trick question because it's both. The original had crow because that's kind of a Midwestern colloquialism. But uh, Carnes mistranscribed uh, it and sang huh. pro. That's funny. Uh, having grown up in Oklahoma, I'd never heard a crow blush, but I, you know, I didn't get out that much. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my trivia on the uh, on the Kim Carnes song. That was uh, just a total shock to me that that was a cover. Here's something that's not a total shock. <laughs> the Saggies. Ah, the mystical refrain that is reader mailbag. We have today two things, possibly the longest email we've ever received, but possibly also the most entertaining. It's up there. It's up there. This one's from our old friend Steve Crosby in Las Vegas. Brad, I, I hope you've brought some oxygen <laughs> and a tall drink. I'm, I'm ready. ready. Here we go. Okay. Everyone strap yourselves in for this one. This one, this one it will take us on a journey. It must be some kind of podcast time machine. Guys, this is scientifically possible. Oh, my God. Okay, Professor Hawking, tell me in your robot voice how this is scientifically possible. It is obviously a podcast time machine. Steve sent me this a few weeks ago, and it's taken us some time to kind of find a slot that would do it justice in the podcast. But here we go. So Steve writes... Okay, guys, it took me three therapy sessions to get all this out, but here's that story that you wanted for the emotional vampire side of yourselves. Keep in mind, I survived, and it's one of those great stories to tell people, so I'm not in any way bitter or upset about it. I look back on it as a learning experience with potential jail time involved. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if it's wordy and long. Here we go. My senior year was interesting. That was the year I dated Shannon. Name not changed to protect the innocent, since she wasn't. We met during summer school, and it all started out as you'd expect. Nice, geeky guy asks out girl way out of his league, and she says yes. Guy floats around on a cloud for four months, then all hell breaks loose, and he wonders who he's dating. I'll quickly skip past the first four months, which is how it felt at the time, and get right to the day I should have seen as the blinding spotlight of yikes. I started my senior year as a very skinny, slightly geeky 16-year-old, and I had a car. Shanna was a junior and not yet 16. We would meet each day at lunch and talk about what we wanted to do after school. Information pertaining to said activities and discussions has been omitted for purposes of maintaining a family-friendly rating. Shannon didn't have a six-period class as she had already been kicked out of it for ditching and would have to wait around an hour after her final class for me to get out before we could leave each day. Well, on this one particular day, she asked me if I could give her my car key so she could wait in my car instead of having to walk around for the whole hour. Since I'm an idiot and can't see how that might go bad, I said, sure, and handed over my car keys. The end of the school day comes, and I head out to the parking lot. Hey, my car's not here. Huh. That's odd. Shannon doesn't have a license yet, and my car's a stick shift. She can't possibly know how to drive a stick shift yet. I'll wait a few minutes and hope she shows up with my car. A half an hour goes by, and the parking lot is now empty except for me. So I head over to the payphone, remember those, back when they still existed, and I call her house. And her mom answers the phone. Hi, uh, it's, uh, Stephen? Is, um, is, is Shannon there? No, she isn't! Where are you? I'm, uh, I'm still at school. Don't move, we'll be right there! The next 15 minutes I thought were the longest of my entire life until they arrived in my car and drove me the next 15 minutes back to their house. I spent the whole drive in the backseat of my own car being yelled at by my girlfriend's parents. It seems that in the intervening time since I gave Shannon the keys, several things had happened, and most of them were not good. <laughs> this poor guy. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, this, is, this is great, isn't it? Shannon decided to skip the rest of her classes after lunch and head home. Another girl was her accomplice in this, and since they now had access to a car, they were off. When they arrived at Shannon's house, they quickly discovered that her mom was home for the day, so they jumped back into the car and decided to head to the beach. Along the way, the two unlicensed 15-year-olds ran a stop sign in front of a police officer. Mm. Flashing lights go on. The girls stop. Oh, wait. 
No, they don't. They floor it and try to run. About three blocks into the chase, one of them gets the bright idea to pull into a driveway and hope that will confuse the cop, who is only 30 feet behind them. (laughs) Turns out the driveway they pulled into had a car already parked in it. To this day, I'm amazed that the front bumper of a 1975 Ford Mustang II can do that much damage to another car and not sustain a single mark. The 1958 Chevy Bel Air parked in the driveway was not completely off the jack stands it was on, and the front end was about 12 inches shorter than normal. Well... You can imagine the next hour or so as the police called her mom and they take reports and paperwork is filled out and names and numbers are exchanged. Shannon's parents managed to talk the police into releasing the car to them and they took her home where she promptly ran away. (laughs) Man, these are parents of the year. So I'm now sitting in her parents' kitchen being read the riot act. As an aside, did you realize the riot act is only like three paragraphs long? I always thought it was longer. Anyway, (laughs) being read the riot act and threatened that if I don't go find her and return her, they will file a police report stating that I'm corrupting their daughter. I try to explain what happened and how I had no part in any of what happened, but they're mad and they're not throwing things at me. So I agreed to be an unpaid amateur bounty hunter. Boba Fett would be so proud. I head back home in my impervious classic car-destroying Ford Heap, and there she sits on my front porch, looking pitiful. We talk about what happened for an hour, and I convince her to go home. When we arrive at her house, her parents tell me that she's now grounded for the next month, and I should just forget about seeing her anymore. The next few weeks were filled with calls from insurance companies and threats of lawsuits. Eventually, we got the whole matter resolved with the damage being paid by her parents. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. The final chapter of this story is that in the month that she was grounded, she snuck out several times and went to dance clubs in Hollywood where she met some college guy and cheated on me with him. I hate those college guys. Her parents caught her with him and they were doing drugs together. I only know this because her mom actually called me and apologized because the whole time we were going out, they were convinced I was giving her drugs. During the argument with her parents, Shannon actually said to them that I was too nice of a guy to do drugs. To this day, I've never done any drugs, not once. The part that still bugs me is that she never gave me back any of my records I let her borrow. Wham's first album, The Pet Shop Boys Please, Real Life, Camouflage. I've replaced all of them over the years on CD, but those were all original vinyl copies. If I could have a spot in Spiracy's Time Machine, I would get those records back. I wouldn't change going out with her. I mean, who wouldn't want to be able to tell that story forever? Still stuck in the 70s when Ford Mustangs were indestructible, as well as the 80s when teenage hearts were not. Steve Crosby. Oh, Steve, Steve, Steve. (laughs) That's fantastic. (laughs) Mainly because it happened to somebody else. I'm I'm just amazed that what he would use it for is just for the albums. I mean, he wouldn't go back and... I'm sorry. I don't care. Well, the Ford Mustang 2 is nothing nothing to go back for. Yeah. Gosh, man, that's just... It's so epic in so many ways. It, it's a perfect storm. It's in, I'm just indignant about the way that the parents were treating the kid. I mean, yeah. treating Steve. I mean, they, they drive him in his own car and yell at him. Yeah, get in your car. <laughs> like, I mean, no, you get out of my car. Yeah. Your daughter's the screw-up. I had nothing to do with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you're 16. And you're I, like, know, okay. I totally get it. Yeah, yeah I totally still, get it. Yeah. It's just it just makes me angry. <laughs> I, I don't see why he's not more bitter. Like he well, seems to sort of look back and think it's funny and sort of say, you know, if I had to do all over, I wouldn't change anything. But I think I'd be pretty pissed. I mean, his car wasn't hurt. He didn't have to pay for anything. He was 16 and probably, uh, as, she said, as he said, she was far more experienced than him. So he's yeah. going to let a lot of stuff slide. I know your kids are a little younger. Have you spent a lot of time with 16-year-old boys? Thankfully, they're no. Not much diff- they're not much different than 8-year-old boys. Uh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so, I mean, no disrespect to Mr. Crosby, but most of us at 16 are like, Oh, yeah. Oh, that, ha- that happened. Hey, yeah. do you guys want to go get some pizza? Uh, I like chocolate milkshakes the best. How about you? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. That is just... Does he get the time machine seat? God, I, I want to go along. I want to ride shotgun on this one. <laughs> you can get the albums back while the, while the other three of us or the other four of us all stand around and yell at Shannon. How about that? If we can make that deal, then uh, then you get the time machine seat. Oh, the keys are in the mail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as always, we love your stories. Uh, see if you can top that sucker uh, <laughs> by emailing us at steve at sit80s.com or brad at sit80s.com. 
Hey, so it's time for another round of Let's Get Trivial. Uh, as always, sponsored by our friends at The 80s Cruise. Today, so happy, we have longtime listener and military general, uh, Douglas <laughs> MacArthur, <laughs> uh, well, a.k.a. Doug Arthur. Yes, very good. Very a.k.a. Good. the general. The, the general. I've, yeah. I've, I, who gave me that nickname? Was that you or was that Steve I, I, or, uh, or Sean? Oh. I, I forget who gave that to me. Uh, it could have been Sean. And then – We'll blame it on Sean. He's <laughs> not here. He's not yeah. here. We gave it – we gave that to you like ten years ago, and uh, at first I could tell. You, at first you thought it was cute, then you thought it was annoying, and then you just you grew to accept it. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty much it. <laughs> That's the funny thing about nicknames. Well, you know, when I was growing up as as a kid, that you know, I got called uh, you know General MacArthur. They, people would ask if my middle name was Mac, you know, because yeah. Douglas Arthur is my you know my middle name is not Mac. Thanks, uh, Dad. Yeah, 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 pretty much. That's pretty much what I. <laughs> <laughs> what I what I thought, but uh, you know, then that kind of drifted away as you know the younger generation, you know, kind of lost sight of uh, you know history. But when you uh, when you brought that back to me during the call in show several years ago, it was like it was one of those uh, weird things that happens. You know, a flashback. Like yeah, it was a flashback moment. Yeah, like a nostalgia yeah. moment on the nostalgia podcast. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. It, if if things go well today during today's uh, let's get trivial, maybe school kids will be reading about Douglas Arthur. In there the we go. There we go. Uh, so you're calling us from Albany, New York, right? That is correct. The state capital. So for those who don't follow uh, Doug on Facebook, Doug is a cartoonist. Yeah, I actually started my cartooning career back in the '80s, so it was. Uh, you know, it's kind of appropriate for the show, but uh, I kind of started off doing political cartoons for the, uh, you know, school magazine at the University of Buffalo where I went to school. Oh, cool. And I kind of, you know, it went from there. After I graduated, I got a gig with one of the local uh, free papers. You know, it's like one of those freebie papers that you find at, like at bars and stuff that tell you mm-hmm. like what bands are playing and has all the strip club ads and all, <laughs> and all of that. Um, so, you know, I, I, and I did that for a long time up until 1998. I, I was drawing a weekly comic strip for them and wow. I, start, I started publishing my own book collections in 1995. Um, so I've got 11 books under my belt right now and uh, I'm working on a 12th book, um, which uh, um, is on Kickstarter right now. If you any '80s fans out there feel like contributing? You can look me up on Kickstarter and and uh, and check it out. It's a it's a cool collection uh, called We All Travel Time, which I'm uh, doing with my uh, my older brother. So there, that's what I that's what I do in my spare time. <laughs> so if, if if fans out there didn't already know that Doug is a cartoonist, I guarantee you they know that Doug is considered to be the foremost expert among stuck in the '80s nation on a band called. Devo. Yes, that's right. Well, I don't know. I think Brad uh, might give me a run for the money here. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, we're going to find out today. We're going to find out. We have uh, we pulled together some questions. Um, how it works here with with Let's Get Trivial is always you get um, a indeterminate number right, then we put you on a list to eventually send you some swag that we <laughs> forgot about <laughs> at, the fut- at a future date. We determine future, using yeah, the spinning so, of the wheel. So one of these days we're going to get more scientific about that, but uh, that's how it goes for now. So in lieu of doing a Devo podcast, we will at least be doing a Devo Let's Get Trivial Wait, section. no, you promised we were doing a Devo podcast, Steve. I well, you promised you. I, <laughs> promised, I promised lots of people lots of things. Yes, Brad, he Fair promised enough. me a Devo podcast about 10 years ago. So yeah. uh, no, And I'm still I, waiting. I don't think I – did I really? Did I ever really promise one? Well, there was. You were supposed to do an interview with. Uh, oh, that's right. Oh, there was Jerry an interview that at one point. didn't happen. I try. I try. I just. I can't. I can't wrap my mind around this band. Um, <laughs> they're, so. they're not for everybody. I have they're to admit. That's 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 true. That's true. Uh, so much so that I'm going to let Brad handle the questions. Oh, Brad? really? Oh, I get to ask the questions. Oh, it's a dream come true. <laughs> okay, are you ready? I am ready. Devo famously appeared in the ninth episode of the short-lived 80s teen sitcom Square Pegs in support of their album, Oh No, It's Devo. What is the title of the episode they appear in? Muffy's Bar Mitzvah. Oh, jeez, I can't believe you got that right. Uh, ah. That's actually not right. Muffy did not have a bar mitzvah. Oh, you're right. You are correct. It's you know bad. what? I'm sorry. I'm giving it to him. I'm not oh, yeah. gender- I'm, I'm too. I'm gender-specific. I apologize to no, that's, anybody that's okay. out there that... It was just okay. the heat of the moment. You were excited. 
I'm excited. <laughs> and they played That's Good. Uh, that's, that was, that's that was, correct. That was the uh, song they I got played. a bonus question for you. Okay. What instrument does Mark Mothersbaugh play on stage in that appearance? Oh, uh, it's the... Um, God, it's like one of those little... It's a... Uh, I forget what it's called. It's like an omnicord, or yeah, a... yeah, that's it. That's okay, it. all right. Okay, this, we can we can finish this now. I'm not going to be able to stump him if he knows that. <laughs> okay, what's the next question? Uh, okay, next question. What Devo song is performed in Swedish in the 1988 movie Tapeheads? Ah, that would be Baby Doll. Boom. <laughs> Headshot. <laughs> okay, Brad was right. Okay. Next question. The Oh No, It's Devo track, I Desire, is infamous for including poetry written by John Hinckley Jr., but there is a second track on this album that is largely based on an outside party's writings. Name the track. Um, okay. It's, uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. It, uh, it's the one with Cowboy Kim. Uh, work it, work big, it. <laughs> big mess, right? Yep, yep, big that's mess. correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, some guy who had written these really weird letters to a, a radio DJ uh, in, in L.A., I believe. Okay, well, let me hit you with another one just to make you feel good about yourself here. <laughs> let me hit you with this one last question. Okay. This will, this will elevate you to the pantheon of Devo gods, if you know okay. this one. In the Devo film, The Men Who Make the Music, what is the name of the band and single that shipped platinum, according to Rod Reuter? Okay. We're getting deep in the weeds here. Yes, uh, the song was deep the, in the weeds. The song was Midget. Uh, God, what was the name of the band? See, I think. Hmm. Damn, I just I just watched this like. <laughs> it's a very old board game. Oh, Parcheesi. Yep. Wasn't it Parcheesi? Yeah. Yes. There you go. I needed a little boost on that one. But. Why can't you guys do stuff like that? <laughs> I guess we like ideas. Yes. I was sure that your questions were going to be way too hard and were inappropriate at best. But uh, no, we're amazing. So uh, since you got them all right, uh, you pretty much get <laughs> we're going to sign uh, over the deeds of the podcast. Shipping you my flat there, there we go. It, it, it'll be a tumble, tumbleweed-filled <laughs> ghost town before I'm done with it. <laughs> Well, it's already tumbleweed filled, so we're halfway there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have definitely chased away the last of our female listeners with this uh, segment. Go to Kickstarter, look for Doug's project, uh, help him out. I've seen his work; it's amazing. It's worth uh, getting behind. And and Doug, thanks for joining us for Let's Get Trivial. Absolutely. Thank you very much, guys. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Oh, you're welcome. We'll be right back after these messages. How to ride a Honda scooter. First, select shirt-pant combo. We suggest this. Or this. Next, select appropriate shoes. We suggest two. Then choose a scooter that best expresses your individuality. There are many sizes and colors. And always wear your helmet. Honda scooters. They're everything but ordinary. Hey, Stuck in 80s Nation. Uh, have you ever read the book I Want My MTV by Craig Marks and Rob Tannenbaum? You can actually listen to the entire book for free if you sign up for a 30-day free trial on audible.com. Just go to www.audibletrial.com slash stuck in the 80s. That's 80s. Uh, now, audible.com, you might be asking yourself, what's this all about? Um, they are a sponsor of Stuck in the 80s, and for good reason. They're the ultimate source for audio versions of so many great books from and about the decade we love so much. Uh, Bright Lights, Big City, Less Than Zero, Bonfire of the Vanities, they're all there. All you 80s Nation fans out there who listen to our podcast on long commutes, uh, plane rides, subway trips, this is perfect for you. All you have to do, again, go to www.audibletrial.com slash stuck in the 80s and get started. Now on with the show. And we're back. We have just a few minutes left, and uh, we would be remiss if we didn't point out that two of the songs we picked for this week's show are also two of the most atrocious music videos you will ever see from the 80s. Let me start by saying one of those, sadly, is mine. <laughs> um, Blondie's the, uh, the Tide is High was... 
Uh, I mean, it's 1980. Okay, so let's face it. It's 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 not it's still an be, experimental art form. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be the Reflex or you know or Rio. You know, this is the video depicts the band. All the members of the band are standing on the sidewalk, looking like goofs, staring up at Debbie Harris apartment, which she's standing in as it begins to flood because it appears she lives now in an aquarium. Well, the the entire time, yes. Uh, the entire time this is happening, we, we see that she's being monitored from outer space by what appears to be a, a Darth Vader-like alien. <laughs> uh, Wait, uh, eventually, it, it gets weirder. <laughs> eventually, she escapes her flooded apartment, reunites with her band, and then suddenly the video cuts to a rocket launch. <laughs> and you're like, well, okay, it's become a NASA infomercial. No, now the band is... Breaks through the fakest studio wall you've ever seen. Cardboard boxes. Painted white. And are inside the spaceship where uh, Debbie Harry finally uh, confronts the Darth Vader man and begins to dance with him. And then that's how the video ends. It is by far one of the most tragic things I've ever witnessed. Oh my gosh, this is some weird stuff. I'm watching it now. Yeah. And then the Darth Vader guy, he's got a uh, what appears to be a drive-in theater speaker. Uh, yeah, <laughs> in front of his face, and there it's, are girls wearing berets on the spaceship. What the hell am I watching? All I can say is the drugs must have been really good in New York in the <laughs> yes. late seventies, early eighties. So, who else had the really bad video this week? Um, that would be me. Uh, <laughs> heart and soul. It's really bad. So it's Huey going to this party. It's kind of like this under one of those underground you know parties that you there's no mark on the door, but he lets himself in. And then he's in this kind of, I guess it's like an apartment and he's wandering through and it's kind of every bad eighties outfit you can think of. And it's a whole range of them. I mean, there's just people dressed (laughs) crazy. You know, some of them look kind of like skinheads and some of them look like party girls. And some, I mean, it's just, it's beyond cheesy. And he's singing the song. Of course it's bad lip syncing because it's, you know, an, 1983. That's how video. we do it. Yeah. <laughs> and there's this woman who's dancing in the middle of the room and she's dressed in all white with blonde hair and she's wearing like white pumps. And she just, I mean, I guess that was sexy back then, kind of alluring and a little dangerous, but it just looks super cheesy now. And she's <laughs> dancing and the spotlight's on her and she's sort of dancing with different guys and he's got his eye on her the whole time. And he does all sorts of weird things. He's wandering around and the members of his band are there and he keeps opening these doors and he looks in the doorways and it's, you know, terrible special effects. They've got like a train coming at him. And then they've got one member of his band is wearing vampire teeth. I mean, it's, it's so bad that I made my kids come over and watch it. I have two 12 year old girls. And one of the things I like to do is queue up eighties commercials and make them watch. Cause they just, it, <laughs> they just can't believe how awful it is. It's one of our favorite activities. So I was like, you guys put down whatever you're doing, come on over here and watch this video. Cause you have to understand what the eighties were like. And they just <laughs> were speechless. It was so bad. And at the end of it, he looks at her and she looks at him and then she's like, oh, of course I'm going to go home with you. And she just leaves with him. (laughs) But Huey's wearing this suit. Like I think I said earlier, he's got this suit on with a skinny black tie and he looks completely out of place. And it's just, it's just beyond cheesy. So I highly recommend checking it out on YouTube. It's (laughs) a great offense at your description of this video. Really? As being as being terrible outfits. These are wonderful. <laughs> by terrible, you mean wonderful, then you're correct. I mean, no Sounds one like we loves need to the watch 80s. This for ideas for the cruise. Yeah, no one loves the 80s more than I do, but man, this one's bad. This one's fantastic. I actually, after I watched this, I had to look up who the girl was. And there's that, do you remember that guy? Um, I, I think his name is Mark Nobleman. And he has Noble Mania, that, that He's uh, been on blog. the show. I he's been on the, been show, on the yeah. show, yeah. Yeah. Well, I looked him up, or I looked up that uh, on his side. I looked on his blog. I looked the girl up because he has all those girls in the videos. And 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 her name was, and I don't think I'm saying this right, Signy or Signy Coleman, S-I-G-N-Y. She was actually also in the I Want a New Drug video. Oh, okay. So she was in both so of them. So it was like a, a two-video deal. Yeah. Well, she said it wasn't actually in the originally because they, they filmed them like a year apart and they just called her up and said, hey, you want to do it? But I kind of looked – I read about it and I, I read about what she was doing. She was modeling there in San Francisco and they had a couple of 
uh, friends in common. When she went for the heart and soul video, she didn't see that they wanted punk people. So she just kind of showed up. She was like, there's all these people dressed as punks. And it was kind of like, well, I don't think I'm going to get here. She starts to leave. And this guy says, hey, miniskirt, where are you going? And they wanted her because she stood out differently stood from out. all the other people in the uh, in the video. Huh. In that horrible outfit that she's wearing with the shoulder pad stuff. Horrible, mm-hmm. wonderful. Weird dress. Yeah, I love shoulder pads. I wish that would come back. Oh, I'm sorry. Some of them got a little bit uh, linebacker-ish. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I really miss the fashion. I don't wear it anymore. But I mean, but I miss it. <laughs> But you what like do you what do you love about the shoulder pads? I'm so intrigued by this. I, I don't know. I just I always liked the shoulder pads. I, I liked the big hair and I liked the shoulder pads. And I don't know why. I, I, I I'm starting to doubt myself now as I try to explain it. <laughs> but, <laughs> the heart wants but, what it wants. Uh, yeah, yeah. The heart wants what it wants. That's one of my favorite pickup lines, by the way, too. So, along with which aisle are the slim gems on? <laughs> yeah. And, hey, baby, the whole world could end tomorrow. That old chestnut. Not hey, you want to be on a podcast? You want to be on a podcast? <laughs> that's never. <laughs> you get a bite. Me. Yeah, that's how he started with me. <laughs> yeah, great. No, I do. I love. I love the shoulder pads. I love a lot, a lot of that. So, uh, hey guys, thanks for being on the show again. I think we still have uh, acreage to uh, plow here. I think. I think there, there could be a few more editions of this. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having us. Thanks for having us on. In the meantime, Huey Lewis and all his beautiful model friends, we all remain here, hopelessly stuck in the eighties. Stuck in the 80s is a class of 85 production. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for providing the extra music. Check out our website at sit80s.com. Stuck in the 80s.